Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com, and definitely check out those shows as well. Katie Seiss is the author of The Break, a novel. Former television host and jewelry designer Katie Seiss is the best-selling author of novels of domestic suspense, Open House, and We Were Mothers. Her latest novel, The Break, is coming out right now and will also be our Zibby's virtual book club pick for November. So if you would like to discuss the book with fellow Zibby's virtual book club members, there are thousands of you out there, or would like to come meet her for Q&A, we will be doing that on November 15th. So go to bookclubs.com and search for my book club, Zibby's virtual book club. You can also get there through zibbyowens.com. After graduating from University of Notre Dame, Katie moved to New York City to act on stage in film. 
She then got a job at a fashion boutique and stumbled into a career making jewelry until Lucky Magazine called her a designer to watch. And then her work was featured in every magazine and worn by people like Beyonce, you may have heard of her, Cameron Diaz, Anne Hathaway, Kelly Ripa, and Drew Barrymore, and so many more. So Katie has extensive on-camera experience. She co-hosted a TV show on the Home Shopping Network and many more. But her jewelry and television career led her to write her first book called Creative Girl, which ignited her passion for writing. She learned the craft of storytelling while working as a ghostwriter on New York Times bestselling suspense books and went on to publish three YA novels under her own name with HarperCollins, The Boyfriend App, The Pretty App, and The Academy. Katie lives an hour outside New York City in the suburbs of Westchester County with her family. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your latest novel, The Break. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. It's so great to have you back. So tell listeners to start what The Break is about. And by the way, this is the book that Zibby's Virtual Book Club is reading for November, I think, right? November? Okay. So tell, tell everyone about it. Okay. So The Break is the story of a young woman who goes in to deliver her baby in a New York City hospital. And she's a very, very traumatic birth and she can't remember much of it. So when she returns home with her beautiful, perfect newborn, she has this sense that something is really wrong and sort of can't get back on her feet, can't remember details from the birth. And her husband hires this very young, beautiful, 22-year-old aspiring actress who he knows, her husband's a screenwriter, and he knows this actress, June, through his agency. And so June arrives, and a few days into her employment there, Rowan my main character, accuses June of harming the baby. She sort of suffers this psychological break. And then she looks down and sees that her baby is actually okay. She's sleeping peacefully in her bassinet. And days later, June disappears. June, the babysitter, disappears. And neighbors have sort of heard this break that she had when she was accusing June of doing these things. And Rowan becomes a suspect in June's disappearance. And so sort of through the haze of postpartum anxiety and having this newborn that she's feeding and taking care of and loving around the clock, she has to put her mind back together and face some darker truths to get to the bottom of what's happened to June. Wow. Well, you have this very chilling scene where she's flashing back and Rowan is pushing June, the babysitter, like closer and closer to the window and is thinking to herself, like, I could, you know, this is it. Like, I have to do this. And then luckily she snatches a peek and sees her baby still there. But she was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I would even think about doing that. Like, what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. And just like, I feel like this totally tenuous grasp on sanity when you're a new mom, you've completely encapsulated. And this, this of course, is like an outer boundary of it. And I love how you have her mother-in-law sort of like tiptoe in you know, and be like, uh, okay, you need some help in here? <laughs> Crazy person who's screaming and scaring the neighbors. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting to sort of weave in those moments of those of us who have had children and you know those postpartum moments when you're just feeling like, as particularly the intrusive thoughts, like I thought were really interesting to research. And I didn't even know about postpartum anxiety when I had my first, I didn't really, I'd heard about postpartum depression, you know, and I remember thinking like, well, I don't have that, but I felt this, you know, these, these fears, it's like someone's handed you this baby who you love more than anything in the world. But now you have all these fears creeping like, well, what if something happens? What if I do something wrong? And for me, for me at least, particularly with my first, and I would say honestly, with all four of mine, I would just be so nervous that something was something. You know, I don't know. So everybody, I think that has read it, who has said the idea of having to get to the bottom of something big while your mind is in, in that state 
you know, feels like it's even more of a pressing pressure to get something done that feels really hard. So this follows your novel, Open House. Why go to this plot and why this story? Like, where did this come from in your own life or imagination? So I've been writing now for, you know, since I was little, but I would say, I think, I think maybe professionally for like 12 years or so. And this has never happened to me even when I was younger and I would be thinking about books all the time. This story came to me in a dream. So I I just saw this woman and she was facing a wall and sort of just like almost like almost like clawing at wallpaper, yelling for someone to give her back her baby. And I and I remember waking up and feeling like, oh my gosh, what was that, you know, what was that dream? And for some reason I couldn't get her out of my head. And I just like I kept seeing her and thinking about the dream. And so it actually really came from that. And I thought for a while that I wouldn't be able to write it because I thought that it would be sort of too dark, but I kept thinking about her. And you know how when ideas bounce around for a long time, you sort of think like, okay, this, this is something that needs to, that I need to write. Even if it doesn't ever become published, I need to at least try to write her and see where she is and what's happening. And that's, that's sort of how the book came to be. And I would say that this one, compared to all the other books that I've written, these characters feel the most like me. So a lot of times people will ask like, with we were mothers, they're like, well, are you like that, that woman? Or is that like a friend of yours? Or is that you? Or, and, and they really haven't been. But then this time around, I felt like Rowan, she's a mystery writer. She feels a lot like I felt when, you know, obviously the circumstances are different, thank God. And then June, the actress who comes sort of into their lives, reminds me of myself at 22, like very wide-eyed and trying to figure it all out. And everything feels very amazing and on edge. And you're trying to figure out where you fit in and where, who you can trust and what you should be doing. And you're almost like faking it till you make it a little bit. And you're, and you're trying to sort out your entire life and you're only 22, which when I look back on it, I'm like, how does anybody ever, ever do that at 22? And it was set in New York where I was you know, during that time, I love New York City. I think part of writing this book was, it was the pandemic. I hadn't been back to New York. I hadn't had the fix of Manhattan in a long time. And I think part of it was a bit escapist to write about that setting. Instead of setting it here, where I normally set my books, I like to set my books sort of like in the idyllic, you know, countryside, because that's what I I see around me. But tell listeners where here is. Okay. So here is an hour North of New York City. And it's very different from New York City. There's a lot of farms and, and there are a lot of just open green spaces and woods and some really pretty stone walls that I love and older houses that I love to just look at and think about what happens behind closed doors. (laughs) Inspires a lot of my work, but this time I think I just needed to write something. And there's that glittery feel of Manhattan, I think, in the story where anything feels possible. And I, oh, I love that about living in New York. I always felt like anything is possible. Well, Manhattan does not feel glittery today as we're talking. It is one of these disgusting, drenched, rainy days where nothing feels glittery. Yeah. Everything feels dampened and depressing. So I'm going to live through your some rose-colored glasses at the moment. <laughs> Feel free to do that. Because <laughs> also, I will say our the beautiful countryside that I'm describing is also really gray right now and and drizzly. I just did preschool drop off and brought the wrong umbrella, and that was a that was a thing. I brought the pink one and not the glitter one. So, I'm <laughs> and how old are your four kids? So there, my boys are 11 and eight, and then I have four year old girls, uh, twin girls who are, are four and a half almost this month. Amazing. So, do you write when they're all at school? And do you have, do you have like a routine? Yeah. So I, I really only write when everybody's at school, partly because I, my brain isn't really ready to work in the afternoon. I don't know whether, even if they weren't home, I'm not, I'm I'm no good in the afternoon. So I write in the morning, I drop everybody off and then come back. And I try to write for about anywhere between an hour and a half and 
two hours. And it helps if I tell myself, okay, I'm going to do at least 500 words. And then if it feels good, I can keep going and do like a thousand or 1500 a day is usually, that's like a great day. When I was younger, I could crank out more like two to 3000 words a day, but I just, I don't have those bones right now. I think maybe, maybe when my little girls are in full day school or something like that, I might try to get back to that pace. But right now I just try for 500 to about a thousand. And so you like me, we're both published by little A for our, our work. And even though people might not know you as a household name, you've sold more copies of your books than like anybody in the planet for all of your, for all of your books. Tell me about your experience with little A and how it feels to be so successful and everything that comes with being published by Little Life. I really loved it there. And we, have, we share our editor, Carmen, who's wonderful. Yes, amazing. It starts with her. You have these conversations with her and she's so calm and she's really wise. Her instincts are really good. Um, I feel like we understand each other really well. So the, usually the idea generally starts there. Like I'll pitch her an idea. Now, of course, certainly it didn't work that first way. First, when we sold the first book, I had to write the whole novel first, which is what I usually will tell people who have their first novel coming. Even though I had written young adult before, I say when you're doing something new, it's helpful to have that full manuscript. I have found in my experience. But then now that I'm with Carmen and with Little A, often I'll pitch an idea and then I'll be able to tell right away if Carmen likes it and I'll go for it. And she's very trusting. I usually write the whole first, the first draft really without any help or, or even input. I usually, and if I, I did once call her, I think in the middle of the break and I can't even remember the question. It was a plot question. And, and she sort of just said, you know, I, I trust your instincts. Like just, you know what? And she said, you know what your readers want, which was really empowering to hear from your editor because I, I felt like, okay, I do know usually, hopefully. And I've loved being with little A because I think that they have a really keen sense of, what readers want to read, but they hold you to a, a, a good standard in terms of what they want to publish and where the writing quality needs to be. And so that's on my shoulder as well too. And sometimes that means that I have to stop a little early for the day. If I'm sort of feeling like it's not going where I need it to go and to the level I want it to go, I, I will stop. And I just tell myself, okay, I have plenty of time to finish this draft and it will go in when it's meant to go in. I love a good deadline. I feel like I'm a, I'm a rule follower in, in most ways. And so I I'll hit my deadlines. And yeah, I've loved working with them. How about you? Yeah, me too. You have such a huge audience. And I do I do think one thing with any Amazon-owned companies is because the traditional bookstores don't always want to stock the books. You might not get as many sort of in-store eyeballs, if you will, on the books. And you are ineligible essentially to be on the main lists and mm-hmm. and best-selling list and everything. But then there's somebody like you who should by all means be on like every single list based on sales and based on all these other metrics. That's not necessarily my my issue. I don't. I wouldn't be qualifying anyway, I don't think. But I don't know if I was just wondering, do you ever have any regrets or do you feel like Amazon's powerhouse marketing has enabled you to find your audience even more successfully? Yeah, I would say the latter because I, and, and while I, of course I would love I mean, I would literally frame it right here on the wall. If I was on a list, I would of course love that. But I will say, I love having readers. So I have found that I have seen people, so my agent, I remember sending me a copy of someone reading it at the pool. And I actually, I could only see her hair. I assumed it was his wife. And I was like, oh, is Beth liking it? He's like, that's not Beth. That's a, <laughs> a random reader at a pool where he was on vacation. So I love having that experience I, where people have read it or, or I'll say one of my books and someone will say, oh, I read We Were Mothers or I read Open House. That's your book. And I I think I enjoy that almost more just that people have read it. I just, I can't believe people read my books. I still feel like (laughs) 
my parents are going to read them and my sister, cause I'm going to force her to, but that people are, have read them is, is really exciting. And I even like, I know this is crazy to say, but even when people don't like them and they go on and say, and do their reviews and they don't like them, I still feel like, thank you so much for reading this. Like, I hope you like, I don't mind even hearing why, cause sometimes that's helpful. Yeah. I love having readers. I think that's more to me than I love having readers. That's really been my dream since I was little. Oh, I guess also part of that is because I love the whole concept of entertainment. Like that's why I work in entertainment. I used to, when I first came out of, I was studying acting in college. And so I was acting for the first year, two years and making like a dollar a day or $0. And so needed to switch out of that. But I love the idea of entertaining people. Like I feel like at the hardest times in my life, I've turned to a book or a movie. And that's my thing is like escaping through somebody else's story. And so to be able to do that and have people actually reading the books feels like the most important part or really, and really fun. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Totally. And so not only do you have four kids and, and have three books in how many years for adults? Like five years? Four years? Or somewhere around that because I remember... I wrote We Were Mothers and she had twins in that book. And I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds so hard. I was writing the character and I was like, I don't know how she's doing twins. This is hard stuff. And then I turned in my manuscript, went to my sonogram and they were like, do twins? I had my four-year-old with me. So I told them, don't say, he was three at the time. I said, don't say anything about this being a pregnancy. Like he just needs to think we're looking at a screen because I didn't want to tell him yet it was early. So she couldn't use the word pregnancy. It was like that game where you can't say certain words. She was like, she couldn't use the word pregnancy. So she looked at me and she said, so um, do twins run in your family? And I said, no, do they now? And she said, yep. And so oh, my gosh, that would have been about five years ago. So, so yeah, so three books in five years for adults. And I think, and there's two more in the pipeline with little a, one coming out called The Vacation Rental, and then one following that. So, and I think we're going to try to pick up the pace a little so that they publish every year and a half. Wow. That's amazing. Really amazing. So in addition to all of that, you have your own betting tennis career. Oh, yes. My tennis career. This is so exciting. I can't even stand it. Okay. Talk about that. Okay. So moms don't have time to play tennis is maybe. <laughs> your Cause, so, okay. I, I stumbled upon tennis 
maybe three years ago. I played a little bit when I was little, but nothing serious. And um, I loved it so much. I don't know if it's the satisfaction of like hitting that ball. It's good exercise. I'm not good at going to the gym. So playing a game gets me excited and like laughing and having fun. And I became totally uh, like uh, crazy obsessed with it. And so this weekend, as I was telling Zibby earlier, my team and I went to USTA Nationals in Oklahoma City. And uh, we got third, our team got third place. The Full Metal Rackets is our team name. And we had, oh an- my gosh, it was really the first time I'd gone somewhere sort of since, you know, I had the girls in 2018, pandemic hit. I hadn't really gone, you know, I haven't really gone anywhere other than I think like to New York City to your, like to one of your events. Like, oh, we just haven't. <laughs> in a while. And so we went to Oklahoma City. We had the best weekend. And I was telling Zibby earlier that my son was supposed to sing the national anthem. He's 11. He loves to sing. And he was supposed to sing it at USTA at the nationals, but it fell through at the last minute. And they texted us saying he couldn't do it. And he was pretty upset. And we had the conversation about, you know, creative people here know all the time. There's rejection all the time. You just keep going till you get a yes. And then sort of this very surprising thing happened where my partner, Steph, arranged for him to sing at the Jones Assembly, which is this unbelievable music venue where, you know, there's lists on the wall of who is sang there. It's just, it was the loveliest place. It was so unbelievably gorgeous. And a man there named Dalton met us and sort of gave us the backstage tour. And and the singer that was on that night said, I'd like to introduce Luke Sweeney. He's 11 years old. He was supposed to sing this national anthem today at nationals. He's going to sing it for you all now. And then Luke got up there and just, just sang this beautiful rendition of the national anthem. And everybody was screaming and cheering and cheering for him. And it was this really, really magical night. It was, it was awesome. It was wonderful. Oh my gosh. I can't believe it. So where is your tennis team from? Your club or where is it from? They're from, we play out of Chestnut Ridge, which is a tennis facility. It's indoor and outdoor courts in Mount Kisco. So it's in, it's about a 10 minute drive from my house and we, we practice a lot. And then we play about it, about it. We've been playing since April. It's about a match a week. So you play at like six in the evenings once a week, which I love because it's in the shade. And we had a great time. And so we just, we kept, we just sort of kept like, we knew our team was kind of, was pretty good. We kept winning and we were like, you know, it's my first year playing USTA. So I thought maybe that's how it goes. But everybody's like, no, you don't just go to nationals each year. So we, we had a, we had a blast. We had a really good time together and, and it's such good exercise. And I love the chess component of it where you're, when you finally learn to hit the ball over the net and then you have to start to learn, okay, well now I can do that. So now where am I supposed to stand? Like it's a little chess match during doubles, which I like. And I love being on a team. I haven't been on a team since I was a teenager, you know, kind of forgot about that aspect. Wow. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. That's amazing. How great to embrace a new activity and just like pick it up. I've been playing tennis my whole life and I have not. I've seen a video of you. You're quite good. I've seen your forehand. Stop it. Stop. No. <laughs> I feel like the success that comes with that kind of a victory is so different than the other little mini successes you can get, even as writers or as parents or whatever. But having that sort of physical accomplishment and and widespread heralding of what you're doing, that's so neat. It's just really, so awesome. Really different. Really different. Different than anything I've done in like 25 years. You know, that's what it, it's this different feeling. Good for you. That is so cool. And you used to be, didn't you also design jewelry? Like in your spare time, you were like a major jewelry designer with like a huge following and in the entertainment world. Like, tell me about that. How do you do all of this stuff? 
So I haven't, so when I was, I don't know about huge following, but, but thank you, but that's generous. But I, when I was in my twenties, so I, when I was acting, I was bartending on the side to make money. And so I'd bartend at night, you know, probably like four shifts a week or so. I waitressed a little, but I was a horrible waitress. I was actually okay at bartending, but horrible waitress. I sort of realized that I, I needed a new job. I remember thinking like, okay, the nights were sort of hard. I was a little tired. And then I took a job at this woman's boutique. It was a clothing boutique in the meatpacking district. And so at this point I was 25. Um, I'd been bartending and waitressing for about three years. I was 25 and always writing, like always writing, waking up in the morning and writing. And, but I hadn't published anything or really even come close. I was also so young. I didn't really understand the idea of like going to classes, going to workshops, trying, I didn't totally, cause I was so young, like June in the break. I was that age and trying to figure it all out. So I, I was at this clothing boutique and I was that age where you sort of like feel like you can do anything. And there isn't really that, there isn't as much of a kernel of doubt that I would probably have now as a 43 year old. Um, mom and sort of overthinking things like I tend to do. And I remember thinking I was in the boutique and she had, it was, she had amazing stuff. And I remember thinking like, well, I could make jewelry too, as one thinks when they're, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, that was my plan. So I made some necklaces and I remember I started wearing them to the store because I was very bold. And I remember this woman loving the necklace and I said, oh, well, I'll sell it to you. So, which is like not an, really an okay thing to do because like my, the woman who owns the boutique is still one of my closest friends today. Thank God. And so she finally said, all right, look, I'll make you a space. You can have this little shelf here. You can put your pieces there and we'll sell them in the store. And then it was just one of those crazy things where it just kind of took off. Like some celebrities would come in. Like I loved Kate Winslet. I saw Titanic 12 times in the theater. I remember she came in and bought a piece and I was so nervous. I couldn't even tell her that I was the one that made them. Like she, I just remember her being like, this is so lovely. And I just really, I could have like told her the lines from Titanic back again. You know, I could have done all her monologues, but I just sort of sat there and was so happy. And then all these magazine editors started, they just started featuring the pieces because I was sort of also, I'm like pretty scrappy. Like I will, if somebody says to me, well, can you do this? I won't say like, unless I really can't do it, I won't say no. They would be like, well, we're doing a piece on leather. Can you make leather jewelry? And I would have no idea how to make leather jewelry, but I would be like, oh, I can definitely make you leather jewelry. And then I would stay up all night trying to figure out how to make leather jewelry on our kitchen table. And I would go to the the district where you buy jewelry and buy some weird leather stuff and then like try to make it. And so things would happen like that. And then I thought to myself, well, my background is in acting. So I should just try to take this like style jewelry thing and maybe try to like do something on camera with that. So I started being a TV host and I would do some random stuff, like some stuff on like the oxygen network. I remember I did um, Elizabeth Hasselbeck's baby shower and I, I loved the view because I was home during the day. So I would make jewelry while the view was on. And then like, I would hear the soap operas in the background, which I would tell myself was good for story, which I still mm-hmm. think it is. I still think TV is really good for like getting a knack of how story flows for books or can flow. So I'd make jewelry all day and listen to the view. So I, I went to her baby shower and got to meet with Meredith Vieira and it, it was crazy. Anyways, so that kind of stuff kept happening. Oh, and then I hosted this show on the Home Shopping Network which was, they would fly me down to Tampa. I'm like in my mid twenties. It's the most fabulous thing that's ever happened to me. They would fly me down to Tampa and I would talk about jewelry and stuff and actually get paid for it. It was like, I had a job that had to do with TV, which was really fun. And then sort of around age 28, 29, I remember thinking to myself, like there should be almost like a book about, and and of course there are other books about, of course there are other books about how to make a creative living. But I remember thinking like, there should be one about how the path can be so circuitous and you, you hear all these no's 
all the time you hear no and you just kind of keep on figuring like your way in and you, you kind of try to look at yourself and what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And so I, I wrote a book proposal. I remember I took a class. By then I realized how helpful it was to actually take a class and try to figure that out. Took a class, wrote a book proposal and submitted it to my agent who is my still my current agent to this day. So that was the first book. And then the rest have all been fiction. And I got a first no for the first novel that I wrote. Like I wrote like a 350 page novel. We tried to sell that. We got a no. I still want to sell that book. It is a paranormal young adult about a girl who just wants to like escape her body. And I still want to sell it. Maybe I'll go work on it. You should go work on it. That'll be your afternoon. That'll be my afternoon. Right. Katie, you are so awesome. I am so impressed with not only the break and all your other books, and your creativity and your tennis, but honestly, this relentless drive and can-do attitude, it's amazing. It's so cool and you're really inspiring. So thank you for coming back on Mom's No Time to Read Books. Excited to talk to you in just a few weeks for book club, although I don't know when this will air. And I'm just so excited to know you. So thanks. So excited to know you. Thank you so much, Zippy. Okay. Bye, Katie. Have a great day. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.